Hey there, my name's Chris Rivers, and I want to thank you for joining us today. And if this is your first time with us, welcome to the Culture Bus Tools podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. In each episode, I explore leadership strategies that increase your capacity and effectiveness with people. During each show, I interview thought leaders, hear their leadership stories, and discuss ways to become better problem solvers and people developers. Visit culturebus.cc to access additional tools focused on each episode so you can create forward movement with your team. Okay, let's dive into today's show. I have a special guest, Mike Chibero. Mike, welcome to the Culture Bus Tools podcast. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's, it's going to be so great. I'm looking forward to this. Mike, for a season, you served as a governing elder at Grace Church, where we both attend and I also work. So that's how we know each other. But you have a unique job that I would love for you to share with us. And I want to talk about your book today. But maybe you could just get started by sharing a little bit about what you do, where you're located in the world. Sure. Glad to do it, Chris. Uh, So I I spent 31 years in the world of uh, public accounting and business consulting, working for a big four firm, Uh, took the early retirement option from that and really get to do today something that I'm very passionate about. I guess from my business experience and really from my life experience, what I learned was that leadership is the X factor. And so I'm very passionate about leadership, whether it's in a business, in a church, uh, even within a family or an athletic team, leadership makes a difference. So what I get the privilege of doing every day is really helping leaders get better at leading. And I do this through a, an interesting vehicle. I uh, work for a company called Battlefield Leadership. And what we do is we use the metaphor of history to teach leadership to, to mostly uh, corporate executives. And so essentially we will take them to historic locations, places like Gettysburg or Normandy or Little Bighorn. And with the help of a PhD credentialed historian, uh, my role is that of business, business advisor, leadership advisor. We're able to walk them through uh, history as it unfolded in the very spot where they're standing. And so we use that story to, to really talk about you know, the decisions that leaders made, but most importantly, what, the, what these executives can learn from those decisions. So what I love about it, it gives leaders an easy way to talk about what are sometimes very difficult and very challenging issues. So it's, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it's hardly like work, and I, and I really get to enjoy, enjoy doing that. Wow. Is there a particular time that you spent with executive leaders doing this that stands out to your mind that was encouraging? Yeah, you know, um, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite battlefield? What's your favorite experience? And honestly, uh, I go back to my first battlefield experience and how I got introduced to battlefield leadership. And it was when I was still working with the company that I worked for for 30 years. Uh, They invited me to go on a trip to Normandy. And so when you when you walk through the D-Day experience, you realize the sacrifices that were made by um, so many young men that allow us to get to do what we do every day. So my sort of watershed moment was walking, standing on Omaha Beach and realizing the personal sacrifice that these young men made on on D-Day so that we get to enjoy the freedoms that we get to enjoy. And really what that did for me, Chris, I think what it does for a lot of folks who go in our programs, it puts life in perspective. You know, we struggle a lot sometimes with with challenges we face at work, but when you're standing there in the the face of such human sacrifice, um, such sacrificial leadership, it really puts your own problems within perspective. So I get to do that uh, on a number of different locations, a number of different experiences, and it's really neat to see others experience what I experienced in that moment. 
Hmm. Do you feel that each of the environments or areas where you take people, do they help solve different problems or is it really just about sacrificial leadership? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, really, if it were just a historical tour, um, I don't think I have a lot of interest in doing what we do because there are lots of people who could who do that and do that well. Our focus within our company is really helping people solve real issues, real challenges that they're facing. So we are very focused on tailoring our our leadership programs to really help them solve specific issues. You know, whether it be, um, you know, one of just as an example, uh, lack of alignment within an organization is a is a complex and very common problem with many organizations. Getting people to line up behind what the vision, mission, values are of an organization, and making sure they stay the course with those. In any military engagement, usually the the side that wins is the most aligned team. And so whether it's around alignments uh, or, or whatever, generally we're helping people solve problems. Many of them are, and you're, you know, probably you can definitely relate to this with your passion around culture. Many of them are cultural issues. They're trying to shape or change the culture of an organization. So really that's what we focus in on. Man, so good. Well, I know about a month ago, I noticed that you published a book called The Mighty Generals. And I grabbed a copy. I'm almost done reading it. And I found your way of communicating very encouraging. And I'd love for you to share with us what this book is about, why you published it, and even some of the issues that you bring to light. Okay. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Well, thank you for taking the time to read the book, Chris. Um, You know, uh, when I... turn the corner and kind of went into my second half of life, you get a, you get a, a sort of an opportunity to do some things that you may not have had time to do before. And, and I guess, quite frankly, I'm a frustrated sports writer. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a sports writer. My, my dad told me to get a real job, so I went into business. But then when, when I had that second half opportunity, uh, I had some time and some margin to do some things that I really enjoy to do. And writing was one of those. And the best advice I ever got about writing a book is somebody said, write a book you would like to read. And so um, this is my second book. Both have been sort of sports historical in nature. And this one was a real passion project because it's a story that related to the high school that I went to in Greenville, South Carolina, Wade Hampton High School. And it's kind of what I call a a local basketball version of the Disney movie, Remember the Titans, from from the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And so it's the story of the integration of public schools that occurred in Greenville in February of 1970. Now, if you know anything about the history of of segregation, uh, you know that Brown versus the Board of Education, which declared segregated schools unconstitutional, actually was passed in 1954. But it took my community, like many Southern communities, a long time to really implement the, 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 the desegregate their schools. And it wasn't until 16 years after that, that Greenville, under a federal mandate, where the federal government said, hey, you've taken way too long and you need to integrate the schools now. And, we, and if you don't, we're going to cut your federal funding. So they forced the schools to integrate in February of 1970 in the middle of the school year, moved 12,000 students. And out of that very emotion packed, very tense time in which there was a lot of, in a lot of cities that were, in, were segregating their schools, there was a lot of violence erupting. Out of that uh, tense era came a great story at my high school. And that was where, with the integration of schools, the Wayhampton High School basketball team won back-to-back state 4A championships in basketball. And um, it was a, it's a wonderful story of how, how a group of people from different backgrounds came together and focused on a, on a common goal. My motivation for writing it was I, always, I knew the story. I wanted it to be documented. 
but I really felt like it was a time in our own history and our own in our own community when we could have, we could use a positive story. Uh, about two years ago, there came a uh, initiative to try, try and rename the high school Wade Hampton, which is named after a Confederate general. That initiative created a lot of um, a lot of um, just conflict in my in the community, and I said, "Well, now is the time that we ought to retell a really good story that came out of that high school, and maybe perhaps some people can can learn from that." So that was kind of the inspiration behind it. Wow. Well, the first couple chapters, I really realized you presented the problem, which was you know segregation, and and then I love how you put together these characters wow. and. Uh, uh, how you have brought them together. Could you talk a little bit about the problem that you were wanting to help us understand and, and how story, how your story of bringing these players together changed this, even the community around here? Yeah, so, I, and again, I don't know that the, the book will fully accomplish this, but, but it is my hope that the book will, will drive a, a greater level of awareness uh, on on both sides of the race issue. Um, and, you know, I, when I got into the book, I began to learn things about my own community that I did not know. And what I learned was the more I understood, the more I, the more I sought to understand some of the historical background, that some of the, the way some of my friends were raised, the, the, the more compassion, the, the more appreciation I had for their experiences. And I, and I think that's the, that's the real message of the book is that, you know, if we'll all take time to, to learn more about, about uh, people who may be from different backgrounds, what we'll find out is they're probably a lot, like, a lot more like us than we think. My favorite quote in the book, um, one of the young men on the team was African-American player by the name of James Brooks. And I actually end the book with this quote. You know, I asked him in, in an interview, I said, you know, what was it like? You know, your, your high school was closed. You were thrust into this new high school. You were put on a team with kids you never, never met before in your life, and you're asked to work together. And I love the simplicity of this quote. What he said to me was, he said, Mike, when you play basketball together, you realize you really aren't that much different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can fill in the blank and figure out whatever it is. I think we all need to look for ways we can work together with people who may be from different backgrounds, because in doing that, focusing on a common goal, I think what we'll realize is we're really not that much different. We have a whole lot more in common than we think. So I guess ultimately it was to raise awareness and, and hopefully encourage people in a time where we seem to be even more divided now than we might have been in 1970 on certain issues. Mm. Why do you think that it's so difficult for organizations, for teams, families to work together and to focus on a common goal? I mean, it is so difficult. Why, why, why do you think it's so difficult? Yeah, boy, that's a, I'm not sure you got enough time on the podcast to unpack all that, but I think, uh, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things at the root of, of that. You look at any effective team, uh, a team that works together to accomplish a common goal. And you're, what you're going to find is, at the core of that usually is a level of selflessness, a level of humility that allows people to put aside personal biases, personal prejudice, uh, their own pride, their own ego, and just being willing to accomplish a common good. And so what you're doing in that is you're having to fight so many basic human emotions that unless you're you know, self-aware enough to even realize you have those, it's a real struggle. So it's basic human nature that, that goes against probably everything that's innate sometimes. But when you see a group of people do that, which I felt like the mighty generals were a great example of that, when you see them do that, what they can accomplish 
is incredible. And that's, that's what we need more of, I think, in society today. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot of room to talk about this. I mean, we could talk about humility. I mean, we could talk about that idea of selfishness. Um, there's so much. I mean, do you feel like there is a, in your work with battlefield leadership, is there a particular leader in our history that is your favorite selfless, humble leader? Yeah, there there are a number because those are the ones that I'm attracted to. Um, as I sit at my desk here, uh, there's a there's a painted portrait of my favorite American hero. I think he's the true hero of the American Civil War, and that would be Abraham Lincoln. And we all have, um, you know, thing, our favorite Lincoln stories probably. But he, more than anybody, just watching how he evolved as a leader, the humble background that he came from, but ultimately he was the ultimate public servant. Uh, his ability to um, uh, to listen well, to understand a situation, uh, you know, to take a, people who may have been at odds with him. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a wonderful book, Team of Rivals, which was the uh, basis for the most recent Lincoln movie. How he took a group of people, some people who he who didn't really like him, but he knew he needed them, and he brought them along so that they eventually became. Um, not only uh, fans of his, but great admirers of his, and how, how he was able to do that. Uh, just his approachability as a leader, his his awareness, his self-awareness of, of circumstances around You know, one of my favorite Lincoln stories is when he, when he passed away, um, and when he was assassinated in April of 1865, they emptied his pockets. And one of the, one of the things they found in his pocket, and we'll never know why, but I have a feeling uh, they found a Confederate $5 bill. Now, why would Abraham Lincoln be walking around with a Confederate $5 bill in his pocket? Uh, was he hedging his bet in case the war didn't turn out the way he thought it would? I don't think so. I think it goes to the core of his second inaugural address when he talks about with malice toward none. I think he, he had that Confederate $5 bill because it was his way of constantly reminding him of, yes, we were in war with, with the South, but I never want to lose sight of what was at stake. So just there's so many things about Lincoln that just uh, I greatly admire. I think he is uh, the more you study him, the more you appreciate him. He wasn't perfect, fully human, had plenty of faults. But just his um, the way he led through some very, very difficult times and dealt through his own personal crisis, the loss of two sons, a wife who suffered a depression, uh, all of that just to be that true public servant. So I could go on and on about Lincoln, but that's maybe a separate pot, separate podcast for a different day. <laughs> Absolutely. Sign me up. I'll send you an invite after this is over. Well, I, I know we're closing towards the end of this time. One of the things that we discuss um, each week is we ask our guests to share a leadership tip. And I was hoping that you could share a leadership tip that you think would be critical for us as leaders to implement in our day to day and maybe why that's so important. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. So, yeah, and I'm going to break your rule here. I'm actually going to share two with you, but they kind of tie together. So people often ask me, what's the number one quality of all great leaders? And I don't know that I've got a a great, perfect answer for that. But where I usually start with that is on self-awareness. Um, the most effective leaders I've seen in business, uh, in a church environment, uh, wherever, have a humility about them that they are that that drives a constant desire to be self-aware of their strengths and their weaknesses. And and I use the word humility because it takes humility to be willing to listen to hard truth about yourself. So particularly as people get get move up in an organization, the more and more difficult it becomes for them to become self-aware because people are afraid to speak truth to them. But what you find with effective leaders is they they are relentless in their pursuit 
of honest feedback, uh, you know, on, on themselves. I had a leader I worked with one time. Um, you know, I really always appreciated this. We were sitting in a room and we're doing an end of the an end of the project evaluation, and everybody's talking about what we could do different and different and so forth. And he he looked at us and he said, "All right, now it's my turn." He said, "I want everybody in this room to one by one to to come up with one thing I could have done better as your leader." And 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 very quickly in that setting, about, "Oh, boss, you're you're a great leader." And he said, "No, no, no." He said, "I'm not leaving until everybody in this room." Tells, what tells me one thing I could have done better. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave the room. And when you're ready for me, I'll come back. And, you know, it's just his way of saying, I am serious about this. And I think that's what great leaders do. And that's how they become more self-aware. And that that is in, inherent in what I call a growth mindset, always wanting to get better, to learn, to never feel like they've arrived or got it all figured out. So I always start with self-awareness. And then the the ultimate, and I kind of got into this a little bit with Lincoln, the ultimate attribute of all great leaders is servant leadership. Uh, you know, when I, I used to, whenever I teach a leadership class, I'll often do a, uh, an exercise where I ask people, tell me about a leader who has had positive impact in your life. And just give me one word to describe them. And what usually comes out of that is the person they end up talking about is a servant leader, someone who put the needs of, of others ahead of their own. And so I think, you know, the ultimate example of that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, you know, servant leadership is the, the truest and greatest form of leadership there is. Uh, giving your life away in service to others that become, in a way, that becomes so magnetic that others want to follow you. And that's the example, of course, we had in Christ. And uh, even to a certain extent, I think that was Lincoln. I think it's why people lined up behind, behind him is because they, they wanted to follow him. You know, the old saying is, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and nobody's following you, you're really just out for a walk. And so, so leadership is living your life in a, in, a, in a way, a sacrificial way, that becomes so magnetic that others want, want to follow you. Man. Well, self-awareness and servant leadership, I love that. That's, those are good things. I appreciate you sharing those. As we wrap up this time, is there anything else that you would want to share with us from the book? Yeah, just to go back to that, I think um, ultimately um, what I would say to all of us is that issues around race and racial conflict are, are not going to be solved by legislation. They're not going to be solved by, I think, anything that, that, that comes out of Washington or, or anywhere else. Certainly there's things that, 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 can, that can help from that. But how? But I think they're going to be solved one relationship at a time. So I think for all of us, I think the best thing we all can do in a, in a world where we seem to be getting more and more divided is to, to take the time to reach out to someone that's from a different background, different culture, racial background, and just take time to invest in a relationship and get to know them. I mean, it, it's, it sounds so simple, and yet that's, that's how problems get solved. And I think in the story of the Mighty Generals, I think that's, that's what they did. And, uh, and, and that's why they, how they became a team. So I'll, I'll leave you with that, Chris. Yeah. Where would we be able to find a link to the book, resources for the book, and even how we could connect with you if we wanted to do that? Yeah. So um, the, the book is on Amazon now. If anybody wants it, we prefer to purchase it that way. Um, if you want me to sign a copy for you, I have a website where you can just go buy it on there at 37publishing.com. Um, that's written out, the, the number 37publishing.com. Um, so either way, and, um, you know, uh, also I've got an email address. If anybody wants to email me, it's uh, Mike.Chibaro, C-H-I-B-B-A-R-O, at battlefieldleadership.com. 
And uh, Chris, feel free to, to forward that to anybody you would like. But I love to hear from people. I love talking about the story. So I'm glad to, to encourage in any way I can. That's great. Well, we'll definitely put those in the show notes. So uh, check those out, man. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for what you're doing. And if I can help you in any way in the future, just let me know. Well, as we finish today's episode, I want to thank you for joining us. As we close, I want to mention an opportunity that I'm providing leaders for 2020. I'm a huge advocate of side projects, of taking an idea and building it and launching it to see what happens. Because you never know what it could become until you get it out of your head and into the world. So one of my goals for 2020 is to help leaders build and launch their ideas. So if you have something you've always wanted to do or make but just haven't, I'd love to hear what you're struggling with and how I could help you launch your side project. To get started, you can visit culturebustools.cc forward slash side project or check out the show notes for more information. If you haven't already, consider subscribing on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you prefer so you can be notified with each new episode. Consider giving us a rating and a review of the show too. I value your input and I'm always looking for ways to make this show better. All right, see you next time on the Culture Bus Tools Podcast.